Warning, the following podcast may contain material that is inappropriate for listeners that are under the age of 18, are easily offended, or get annoyed listening to the rantings of holier-than-thou-know-it-alls that are anything but. Today is a historic day, a day that we should never forget, a day that we should always keep close to our hearts. And, you know, even if it may gone for some time now, uh, we should always let it be fresh in our minds. I'm speaking, of course, of the Anime World Order podcast, episode 100, and a not September 11th memorial as we're recording this uh, as we speak. <laughs> we're back once again to uh, talk about Japanese cartoons and such. My name is Daryl Surratt. And I've got other guys, too. I am Gerald Rathgold. And I'm Clarissa. And we've got a special guest for our 100th, not actually 100, but close enough as far as We've already passed 100. About half a year ago. Yeah, I think we're close to 150 at this point. But (laughs) since it has been forever, and we don't really have any good reason, we do have the returning guest to AWO, one of the few, Mr. Mike Tool. I'm special? You are you. You mean like short bus special, right? No. <laughs> I mean like Special K. That movie sucked. Special K? Special K is delicious. There was a movie called Special K? No, a movie called Short Bus. Oh. Oh. <laughs> totally lost us there, Gerald. <laughs> I came in a Shut bit up, late Gerald. <laughs> so, Mike, how are things going in the time since you were last on, which was several years ago, you reviewed Odin, Photon, Space Sailor, Starlight. There was an interim one a bit more recent than that, where we went over five-star stories and the big O, and you don't remember? I do. I completely purged the memory of five-star <laughs> stories anything from my brain. I'm glad that we did. Daryl, you said you would never forget. I said I would never forget the Anime World Order podcast happening. I can forget five-star stories. Terrible. I'm glad that we did have that other episode, though, because I'd feel awful if the only times we ever had you on was to review shit like Odin and this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this this episode's totally different. So. Yeah, this is a complete change of pace <laughs> from Odin to Five Star Stories to what we were reviewing this exciting installment. We've been going for years, and we deliberately avoided certain topics because we'd always say, oh, there's no need to really talk about them. Things like Evangelion, things like Mobile Suit Gundam, even though both of those topics have repeatedly come up in our opening discussions, we've never actually done any reviews of such a thing. So we may as well break the trend and say, all right, we are going to discuss Yoshiyuki Tamino's greatest contribution his most significant one uh, i'm speaking of course of the byston well saga and specifically garzy's wing the three-part oav from the na- late 1990s that has uh touched and enriched us all we're gonna talk about that after i talk about all the things i've been up to in the past two years right yeah because that was your lead-in and then you just totally broke off from it i was going to come back to it until okay. you said i forgot <laughs> all right well as you all know, I have a column on Anime News Network. I've, I've really been enjoying doing that. Just had another installment go live today all about the least essential anime, the wonderful things that we might have even seen, even seen the entire run of and then immediately forgot about. 
stuff like Trouble Chocolate and Cybernetics Guardian. And another one that occurred to me after I finished the column, Eden's Bowie. What can you guys tell me about Eden's Bowie? I thought it was oh. Eden's Bowery. I remember seeing the covers of it, and that is it. I've never seen the show. I remember people would use clips of it in AMVs, but I don't think I ever watched any of it. Yeah, when I was in Japan in 1999, that shit was everywhere. It came out on DVD here, and I've never heard anyone talk about it. Hmm. Hmm. If I hadn't seen the discs myself, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't believe it existed. Yeah. Now, Trouble Chocolate, that's a dangerous uh, I remember Trouble Chocolate. <laughs> and what I remember about it is that it's a weak, weak Ursae Yatsura wannabe. Yeah, it's one of those things that it's so bad, it's bad. Yeah, and I mean, even if you've <laughs> never seen Ursae Yatsura, it's just a lousy, lousy show. And it's kind of frightening to think that that show has got a fan somewhere out there. Oh, yeah, I'm sure the forums and the ANN forums are full of people being like, How dare you, Mike Tulte, mean things about the Trouble Chocolate? I don't know why I have this vaguely John Bostonian condescending <laughs> accent. Say, you're trying to sound like Mayor Quimby there. <laughs> yeah. It's chowder. Chowder. I'll kill you. That was his son, not the mayor. We're off to a bad start. <laughs> you can't do a Kennedy accent without throwing in lots of era. I era uh, disagree era uh, with era uh, your era uh, opinion era. Uh. Okay, terrible impressions aside, that's what I've been up to lately. I just finished watching Ninja Scroll TV. Join the club! Yeah, yeah, I know, right? You're part of that elite order, right, Daryl? That's right. I was going through Ninja Scroll TV to find the stupidest ninja imaginable across anime, and as it turns out, they're all in Ninja Scroll TV. I yeah. didn't even need to go to Basilisk. Every single one. <laughs> now, I've also been making important YouTube videos. Oh, very important YouTube videos. <laughs> yes. That's something I've actually had in the can for a little while, and it just it took that flash of inspiration for me to work those couple of hours to get it finished and get it out uh. into the world. <laughs> that was a lot of fun to make, and I have a Ranma One Half toy. I don't know, maybe, maybe if I can figure out a song for that, I'll do that as well. Next time I'm coming to Boston, I'm going to bring you this incredible, like, St. Say a playset that I saw at the flea market that's just awful. Well, if we go back and they still have it. I'm sure they'll have something like it still there. <laughs> and uh, one of the columns, actually, I was going to publish this this week, but an interview I needed to do did not happen. So that's going to be probably going to be the next installment. I visited a couple of anime retail stores. Now, do you guys have anime stores in your neck of the we woods? We used to. We used to. And then all of them closed down. Right. Yeah, we never had too many dedicated anime stores. There was one where I lived, and there was another in Orlando. Both of them have shut down because they're kind of unnecessary. There are two anime stores in this neck of the woods. There is Tokyo Kid, which has been in business for years and years in Harvard Square, very close to my house, right, right, centrally located right in the city. They are going out of business at the end of the month. And what's interesting is that there's no signage about this. Um, they're not marking anything down. They're just very quietly kind of winking out of existence. And uh, way off the beaten path out in Waltham, there is a store called Animadness. And they are thriving. It's just kind of weird. Their owners just seem to have all this energy and all this enthusiasm. And most importantly, they're not selling DVDs. They're not selling DVDs. They're not selling manga. They principally sell things that you cannot download. Ah, uh, so is that what Tokyo Kid's Merchandise. doing? Merchandise. Well, Tokyo Kid, for years, their bread and butter was they had a great big rental VHS and DVD section. They still have a ton of uh, retail anime DVDs uh, that are still like 25 bucks each. Uh, and really, it's, it's just like they let stuff get away from them. Like, you go into the store, everything's covered in dust. There are two CRT televisions showing 080 Rocket fan subs. 
The guy behind the counter barely even looks up from his laptop, and it doesn't look like anything there is newer than about uh, you know 2005, 2006. Mm. It's a front for the drug trade. I wouldn't discount that. That and most of the prices, you know, they're not like ludicrously high, but they're well over what you'd really want to pay. So it's basically like shopping in virtually any convention dealer room, then. A little bit, yeah, but with with an even worse selection. Ah. And by contrast, Anna Madness, I mean, their prices are a little high, but that's largely by virtue of the, the whole exchange rate nonsense. Right. They have all kinds of interesting stuff. I actually ended up getting a uh, R. Dorothy Wainwright Figma. Now, do you any, any of you guys have Figmas? I do. I don't own any. I would like to probably have the Golgo 13 one just for completeness sake, but I also don't want to pay the marked up exchange rate prices that they have right now yeah these guys aren't that cheap clarissa what figma do you have i've got several uh i just got the kaiji one in nice. <laughs> yeah i got some good photos of that <laughs> it's interesting they're very expensive they're about 40 to 50 dollars yeah they are now because of the exchange rate they used to be yeah. pretty affordable this dorothy figure man it's like five inches of pure awesome it's it's a really neat little toy very detailed joints look really nice it's a good-looking little figure. I'm not sure if I have any Figmas or if I just have Revoltex. Hmm, I need to check. Yeah, Revoltex are a little yeah, different. They are. They're, it's, they're similar but different, and then there's Figmas, and then there's Nendroids, and then there's a couple of other brands that are really obviously Figma-alikes, but they're not called mm -hmm. that. Right, I mean, they're all ones from different figure companies, so... Sure. Bandai has the Figuarts line, which is their oh, right, right. one. Yeah, but this is like the first anime toy item I've bought in years. Oh, yeah. Now that I know that there's a store in the area, it's just like, mm -hmm. oh, God, that, that's very dangerous. I really wanted to get the Roger. The Roger one is like a limited edition one. You had to pay big bucks for that, and they're probably not going to sell it again. Yeah, it was an event special. I was actually wondering if they were maybe testing the waters with releasing this to see if there was enough interest in the Big O to do anything else with it. I know that they've done that in kind of weird ways. I saw that figure, and it, it just seemed like a really interesting one. I actually wanted to get the Big O, the model. I think that was actually a Revoltec, though. There's a, a very expensive uh, die-cast Big O that's, I think, like $300. Oh, yeah. Oh, that thing's amazing. Oh, it's so nice. That's like the super-duper one. There was a Soul of Chogokin Big O a couple of years ago, but that one's well out of print now. Yeah. Yeah. Anywho, column, that's what I'm up to these days. And uh, how about you guys? Four words, deus ex human revolution. I pretty much beat that, so now I can get back to resuming my life. Awesome. I highly recommend it. What life? Uh, well, my life of playing other video <laughs> games. Oh, all right. I've been largely working on panels for the upcoming Anime Weekend Atlanta, at which I'm doing, um, I guess, officially doing two and then helping on another panel. And then we've got EXPCon shortly after that that we've got potentially a bunch of other panels, so... Panels, panels, panels. Work and school for me, and this semester I actually have a little more free time, so I've been trying to finish up Fallout New Vegas and Arkham Asylum. There you go. I'm jealous of uh, you guys all going to AWA and stuff. I haven't been to that one in years. I'd like but to you go also back. spent all your money on liquor for the Otakon party. Yeah, I know. I, I, I did myself in there. But you're doing it again next year. I'm doing it again next year. and Bigger and badder. Bigger and badder. I don't know what the theme drink is going to be, but I know I'm going to come up with some kind of chicken wing recipe, and I will serve Garzy's wings. Oh, chicken wings. Yep, remember. Oh, well, if it's Garzy's wings, then they would taste awful, and then you wouldn't know what you tasted after it. They taste like gunpowder. <laughs> they taste like the formula for how to make nuts and bolts. <laughs> 
clearly we need to start talking about this thing, right? Don't we have a, a contest to finish up as well? We do indeed. Yeah, do uh, the contest. About two shows ago, we mentioned that there was a contest for the Dirty Pair. The winner would receive the entire Dirty Pair TV series, courtesy of Nozomi Entertainment. Conditions were as follows. If you sent us a review on iTunes, along with a screenshot of your review, you'd be entered to win in the drawing. And so we got about a little over 30 entries. Uh, we were kind of hoping for a little more, but that's all right. Without further ado, we will uh, do a random number generator to make this fair and uh, and count from that. And so the winner is Amanda Myers. Congratulations, Amanda. We uh, don't seem to have your mailing address um. in your um, contest entry, although we can see that you actually did submit something. We do have your email, though. So yeah, if you go ahead and uh, send us an email from the same address that you sent the review in from, we can go ahead and get to you your uh, prize. That settles that. Thanks for leaving all the reviews. I don't know if it actually increased our standings or not in the iTunes listings, but hey, what are you going to do? Just a quick reminder before we get on to the review, the uh, website is www.animeworldorder.com. You can go there with show notes and generally speaking with each new post we also have links to the guest appearances that we've done on other podcasts uh, i was probably on the greatest movie ever podcast again talking about death wish 4 by the time this one comes out uh, there's also the link to the review index where you can get links to all our previous shows see all the different stuff that we reviewed pretty good thing to check before you send us an email asking us hey what do we think about so-and-so show and on the subject of emails email address is AnimeWorldOrder at gmail.com, and you can follow us on Twitter or Facebook at AnimeWorldOrder. Though if you want actually responses from us, it's probably faster to just follow our personal accounts. If you want to know what those are, uh, check this very MP3 that you're listening to. All right, let's get to it. Japanese man's spirit. Use the power of the earth and water and power of Amida. We've talked about this maybe in passing a few times in previous episodes of the show, but one thing I've tended to notice over the years is that a lot of times when you have a very famous creator, what they're best known for is not always what they want to be best known for or what they want to be remembered for. For example, Osamu Tezuka. He's most famous for Astro Boy, Blackjack, but his life work is Phoenix. Not everyone else has read Phoenix compared to Astro Boy or Blackjack, but if you were to ask him, were you not dead, what his most important work was, he would say Phoenix. For Mamoru Oshii, think of that guy, the first thing you think of is Ghost in the Shell, Pat Labor, Urusei Yatsura, stuff like that. But what Mamoru Oshii really wants people to care about him for <laughs> is this thing called the Kerberos Saga. Which nobody likes. He's adapted it into every single medium you can think of, TV, film, radio, puppet, cutouts, I don't know, 
every single weird sort of thing you can think of. Novels, you name it, he's got it. I'm sorry, man. I like Jinro. I was getting to that, Mike. I mean, the best entry in the Kerbo Saga is Jinro. Absolutely. And that's the one that Oshi didn't direct. <laughs> he just wrote it. And the reason people in general care more than anything about the Kerberos saga is that sweet protect gear armor designs, which aren't by Oshi, they're by Yutake Izubuchi. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oshi's just keep hitting us with Kerberos saga. I mean, his latest thing is like Assault Girls, which is terrible. <laughs> Looks pretty cool, I guess, but that's an ongoing thing. No matter what he does, everyone is still going to know him for Ghost in the Shell and Pat Labor, and then Ursae Yats or stuff like that. Which mm-hmm. brings us to the man of the hour, the gentleman we are talking about here tonight, Yoshiyuki Tamino. Woo! Most famous for one thing, and one thing only. Elgheim. Hel- Elgheim. That's exactly correct, Mike. Zabungle. <laughs> Zabungle, yes. Zanbot 3. Zanbot 3. Triton of the Sea. Triton of the Sea, yeah. Um, no, of course, uh, he's most famous for Mobile Suit Gundam, the sci-fi mecha mega franchise of anime but he's kind of resentful of that as seems over the years uh based on his output um what he really really wants people to remember him for and what he wants to be famous for is this thing that's collectively known as the biston well story or the biston well saga it's a medieval fantasy world that's dimensionally transposed from reality, where best as I can tell, since I don't think for any of the multiple entries in the Bistonwell story that have been made, I don't think this has ever actually directly been stated, but time passes much, much faster over there than it does in reality. Like a few hours here is days or weeks over there, but yeah. despite this... It's like Narnia. It forever remains this medieval fantasy world that's pretty much bereft of modern technology, like Narnia, like Faerun in the Forgotten Realms, stuff like that. He first explored Bison Well in, I believe, a series of light novels from the 80s that were entitled The Wings of Reen. And The Wings of Reen ended up getting adapted into an anime with one concession. Um, the sponsors wanted him to spice it up. They said, hey, this fantasy realm is pretty cool. But uh, could you add some robots? And so was Born or a Battler Dunbine, which I'm pretty convinced is a show for which uh, the reason people care about it more than anything else are the or a Battler insectoid mecha that got added. They were never originally in the story in the first place. And that place. sweet mm-hmm. opening song by Mio. By Mio, exactly. Ora Shuto. Yes. Really good opening. And I've watched the whole thing. I'm one of the few. It's a pretty good show. It has a lot of uh, good 80s mecha stuff in it. I watched, I think, the first disc of it and couldn't handle it. That was about as much as I could get through. Dunbine, take it or leave it, I mean, it was considered for a time to be one of those high-watermark pinnacles of mecha anime. Less so, perhaps, now that more people have theoretically been able to see it. But it was popular enough when it came out that we got a spin-off Bison Well OAV, just called, I believe, what, New Story of Bison Well? And then... After that was another entire series called Heavy Metal Elgheim, which is best known for being a cartoon show with the name Heavy Metal in it, thus assuring that musicians in Japan and people searching for information on European titty mag sci-fi comics always end up stumbling across Heavy Metal Elgheim. Was that the one that had designs by Mamoru Nagano? Yes. I believe so, and that in turn led to the five-star stories. Yeah, not just designs, entire story elements that Nagino and, and uh, Tomino came up with that were incorporated into five-star stories. It also had a sweet-ass opening song by Mio. Mm-hmm. Recurring trend. I think we're seeing a trend here. The number one yeah. way to sell your show in the 80s. Totally. Have Mio do the to have that Mio song. 
it is very much like five-star stories, come to think of it, the Bystonwell saga overall, in terms of the same strengths and the same weaknesses. All these titles don't really directly relate to each other. There aren't recurring characters that pop up in one series that then show up in the next, because the way the time works, they can be several centuries apart from one another in the Bystonwell world, while maybe only being a few years before or after each other in, quote, reality. Which brings us to Garzi's Wing, which is best known for being Yoshiyuki Tomito's <laughs> worst effort ever. It's generally agreed upon for all his multiple misses and uh, missteps over the years. Most everyone agrees that Garzi's Wing is the worst. And I'm, yeah. it's a troubled production. You can see yeah. that from kind of every step of the well, way. I would argue that the majority of Tomino's work are failures, but they're really interesting failures. And Garzi's Wing might be the most interesting of those failures. It's certainly the biggest of the failures. It certainly is the biggest. Whether it's the most interesting in terms of what you're seeing or in terms of what went through this man's mind, because... It's the most singular effort. It's written by Tamino. It's directed by Tamino. It's storyboarded by Tamino. It's the original everything is by him. And I kind of get the feeling that he's got decades and decades worth of ideas of things that are just in his head and his head only that when he puts it down on the page, he can mentally make sense out of it. And no one else can. That is actually, I think, kind of what sums up a lot of Tomino for me. And like a lot of the worst qualities of Tomino are so well emphasized in this work. It's quite incredible, I think. What fascinates me is that it came out in the late 1990s. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, this 96. is 96, maybe I think one episode a year or, you know, thereabouts. Took a little while to come out. But from looking at it, it definitely seems like an older show. It's, you know, right on the cusp of the digital animation. And this was, you know, not that. Or at least doesn't look like an early digital animated effort. Considering that it was an OVA with some big names attached to it, it is, it is kind of shockingly poorly animated. I'm not saying it looks good. I'm just saying it doesn't look bad in the way that early digital animation does. It looks bad right. in the way that uh, older animated things look that yeah. were not so hot. Um, Daryl, um, are you sure that Elgayam is part of Bisonwell? Because it doesn't have the same kind of like yeah, I, insect and magical trappings, and I've never heard it connected I to Bisonwell I heard that before. myself. I was wondering where you, where you got that one. I think it's just in my head because they both have these annoying fairy girls. Oh, totally, totally. Yeah, that's yeah. the only. Uh, that must oh. be what makes it like tie those two things together yeah. in my head. <laughs> okay, I don't think it's officially a part of Bison Wells, though. Yeah, no, I don't think so. Thank God you said that, Clarissa, because I was thinking that, but it was just like, oh, he must just know something I don't. <laughs> I just know that all the tying things that are like the one recurring factor in the entire Bison Wells saga is annoying fairy girl, yep. and therefore, <laughs> if annoying fairy girl is present in Heavy Metal Elgheim. <laughs> It must, it must be somehow be related in the far future of the Bystonwell saga that you know heavy metal Elgheim kicks in. But yeah, Garcy's wing though is definitely is definitely yes. in the Bystonwell story because it tells us this yes, by in the title. a giant caption <laughs> from the Bystonwell story. Garcy's wing. What is the Bystonwell story? We don't know. We will never know. I think though, you guys didn't actually watch Gerald and Clarissa. Didn't actually watch the DVD. And uh, that's unfortunate because the CPM DVD of 
Garzy's wing is quite a thing to behold. I saw your Twitter update about it. Man, that's right. You the, can, the cover. You can go to YouTube and find someone actually captured the menu loop just because that <laughs> oh, itself. <God>. Justin Savakis <laughs> actually put it up himself, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. It's incredibly just cacophonous and discordant and strange. It is equivalent to, it may actually have dethroned the ADV Nadia Secret of Blue Water menu. Oh, you think oh, wow. so? Wow. Really? I, that is saying I a lot. I believe so. That used to be the ultimate yeah. in terms of horrifying grading menu design. But oh, Garzy's yeah, I remember wing, we've discussed that on this show before. We totally did when we reviewed Nadia. <laughs> yes. If you go back in that review index. The closest equivalent I can make is to sort of mention that years ago, there was a show called The Kids in the Hall, a sketch comedy show in Canada. One of the characters, one of the members of the troupe was named Bruce McCulloch. And one of his recurring characters was that he was a guy who'd constantly get into fights. And his fighting technique was to scream and charge straight forward people and not actually fight and just get beaten up. <laughs> right. And the sound was something roughly akin to... That is the sound that plays on the Garzy's Wing menu. (laughs) That is like the first thing that greets you when you pop that DVD in. It's amazing. Maybe it's like a warning so that you'll take the disc out. It's to get you in the proper mindset for what you are about to see. Because if you look at the box cover, it says, From the director of Mobile Suit Gundam. Right. It has no robots in it whatsoever because this is based on the pure, unadulterated vision of Byston Well, not the corporate fat cat version and of course later on <laughs> tamino was like okay garzy's wing was a mistake i want i call a mulligan i'm doing this over again the wings of reen now in animated form <laughs> twice as long as garzy's wing a beautiful looking has the insectoid mecha in it does not fix the narrative problems doesn't no. really fix the narrative problems one thing i will say though is wings of reen is absolutely gorgeous to behold it looks really good on dvd oh, yeah. and uh if you're curious about it if you go to amazon marketplace i think the dvds are about one or two dollars each you can get the whole thing for about twelve dollars yeah significant discount from the original bandai visual pricing that was like eighty dollars a disc they all come with these nice thick booklets it's i ran wings of reen at, uh, at the anime room i used to run at aresia a science fiction convention here in boston it was one of my best memories of running that anime room because i ran it at about two o'clock in the morning of course it's largely incomprehensible and i just had like this group of about eight or ten uh, guys and gals wander in just absolutely stinking of marijuana like they, they had totally just smoked up they all sprawled out in the front row and they spent like about a good half an hour just not very softly whispering amongst each other just trying to figure out what the hell was going on and they couldn't they couldn't after about half an hour of discussing who these characters were what does this mean what are those wings on his feet what is that costume they just got up and shuffled out I couldn't figure out what was happening and I was sober completely yeah I know right it was just a very amusing Let's use the power of deductive reasoning. Now, part of the problem was probably that I've only watched it, that awful dub, and I found it impossible to actually pay attention because people were just yelling constantly. Yes, that's part of the magic of the dub for this, is that everyone just sort of shouts without regards to spatial location, and also no one knows how to pronounce anything, (laughs) so it sounds like gibberish, but that adds to its charm. I want to know, Mike, before uh, you ask that question... Can we, having been the only two people who've seen both Garzy's Wing and the Wings yep. of Reen, figure out what separates the Wings of Reen from Garzy's Wing? I'm not real sure, man. They, they kind of look alike. They kind of seem to do the same thing. I think the Wings of Reen, what separates them is that they are from MC Hammer. And that what I mean is that they are magical shoes that transform the wearer once you put them oh, on. Oh, you're right. You're right. They're tied to an object. Yeah, the wing, Garzy's Wing just appears. 
when the main character Chris is naked. Right. And so the magical shoes that turn you into Hammerman versus (laughs) the ankle wings, that's what separates Garzies from Reen. At no point in either of these productions is it ever stated what Reen is or who Garzy Mm -hmm. is. Yeah, what the fuck is Garzy? Well, it's, it's a duck. It's a giant glowing goose swan oh the duck yeah. that kidnapped his ghost at the beginning of the i don't know <laughs> that's just it. we need to discuss the the ashkaba army at ismudo uh battling the meadowmias tribe over uh as summoned by yamato, yamato Takara, Takara, no mikoto. Mikoto. yes exactly yeah speaking of which did we also ever figure out anything about what or who the hell Yamato Takeru no Mikoto was? That's just, I can tell you Except that. Except for a thing that none of the voice actors could pronounce? That's not explained at all, but yeah, we know who Yamato Takeru is. He was, he's like the, you know, the, the mythical, you know, warrior who founded uh, the kingdom of Yamato and is one of the fathers of, of Japan in mythology. Right, it's sort of a, a Japanese folk hero The main sorts. character, Christopher, is keeps talking about how he wants to be like Yamato Takeru. That just makes me think, oh, dude, you're a total weeaboo. <laughs> I think the place where most people listening to this might know the name Yamato Takeru, two places. One I'll give is the lesser-known one. He's actually a character in Phoenix by Osamu Tezuka in the Yamato story. The other one that's probably a little more contemporary is he's in Persona 4. And so that's basically the only way. But at no point at any stage of this cartoon is it ever stated within the context of it who Yamato Takiru is. Part of that is just, okay, it's a Japanese cartoon. Maybe people yeah. in Japan know about this story the way that Americans might just be aware of who Paul Bunyan is, maybe. Well, I also wasn't sure, like, what the no Mikoto signified, like... Where he's from. <laughs> okay, well, I wasn't sure, like, if that meant they were talking about Yamato Takeru, or, like, was it something else connected the to that? The subtitles don't know. help, yeah, because no. the subtitles are spelled no Mikoto as one word, like, Yamato Takeru is his middle name, and no Mikoto is his oh last name. Oh my god. <laughs> See, I never watched it subtitled. I just watched it dub. I turned the subtitles on so I can understand what they were saying in the dub. Before we get too far into this, I want to at least have us talk about the most maddening, like, first two or three minutes I've ever seen oh, in a show. It is the most awful, maddening, horrible... The best part... That begins exactly like Aura Battler Dunbine. It's the same it thing. Does, it's yes. a dude riding along on his motorcycle, and out of nowhere, he's just like, and a beam of light engulfs him, and suddenly he's flying into a magical world. Only this time, he's naked. I started playing that, and I actually went back to the file, and I thought, is this file, no, no, is this file okay? Did I skip ahead, like, three no. minutes or something? Like, no. This no, is, you did yeah. not. No. I support the idea of starting something in Medias Res, but that was not a successful... <laughs> That wasn't medias res, that was just insanity. There are two failures of why it doesn't work. The trouble with Garzi's wing that we're about to get into is that describing it makes far more sense than actually watching it, because in order to describe it, you have to do mental computations in your brain to contextually rationalize what the fuck your eyes just saw. But the second reason that it doesn't work, as far as in media res narrative technique, is that there just isn't enough time. For things like Aura Battle or Dunbine, for things like the Twelve Kingdoms and so on and so forth, where you're just dropped into a situation and everyone's just throwing around terminology left and right, yeah, you have enough time to, over the course of the series, pick up on things through context. Right. This is only 90 minutes long. There isn't enough time to learn what these terms are really talking about, to learn what these characters are relate to each other like who is fighting who and for what reason and why is this important where are these people going 
None of that is established, and this is paced as if it is a 50-episode show, only compressed into the span of 90 minutes. Consider how much we've talked about Garzy's Wing, and we, we've barely even started to describe the plot. No, because <sighs> it, it just immediately starts, like, in, I think the Neil Nadelman way to show how it starts, and just to emphasize it all, is that dude's just riding on his motorcycle, then suddenly he says, hey, wait a second, my necklace, it's rattling, could it be... The Shiratori Shrine, and then CPM decided to enlighten us and help us out because they added a big, giant caption on screen that says, The Shrine. Yes. <laughs> and then a giant flying swan swoops down on him and steals his naked soul, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and then he falls through to Bison Well and... We don't know what Bison Well and is. And somehow, other than a even though his soul is like separated from his body, he's still conscious and functioning in the regular world. And I would like to say, I don't think that that was terribly clear until later in the show when it. It smash cuts back when it's, to yeah, reality. Smash cuts yeah. back, and then I think, wait a second, did he go back to that world? He's at the pool, and he's like, what's up, girlfriend? You sure look sexy. Yeah. Before that, I thought he was just in that other world, because I'd seen Dunbine, and I thought they were doing the same thing. But no. We've seen plenty of cartoons, no shortage of ordinary teenager living in mundane reality gets whisked off to medieval fantasy land. Yes. But in most of those billing anime where that happens, there is at least some period of disorientation on the part of the hero. A part where maybe they say, where am I? How did I get here? How do I get back home? Not Garzy's wing. <laughs> Chris lands in Bison Well. Naked, having fallen through multiple dimensions, having a fairy woman with wings affixed onto him, you know, next to him, and he just instantaneously picks up yeah. a spear and starts killing trained soldiers with ease yep. while totally naked and having conversations with people also while naked, just saying, hey, where's everyone going to? No concern that suddenly technology has regressed right. back about a millennia. Uh, why are people trying to kill me? Why can I so expertly fight back and kill these people in return? Mm -hmm. There's none of that in this story. Don't forget, in the dubbed version, everyone is yelling at the top of their lungs. No one in this has an inside voice at all. Yeah, seriously, nope. I'm pretty sure every single line of dialogue, no matter the context, no matter anything, the voice actors are just yelling it at the top of their lungs, and I don't understand what ADR director would either ask for that or... Let that be the cut that they use. <laughs> it is magnificent. That is a Justin Savakis story. It is magnificent. <laughs> yeah. Justin Savakis basically said that uh, there was some outfit in uh, New York City that they just got a bunch of no-name guys. Said it must have been like the least cared for dub ever made, like kicked out like in the fastest way possible. Because if you turn the subtitles on, you can realize they're just reading the subtitle script verbatim, which means there are times where they run out of space to say their line. Mm -hmm. And so the line just gets truncated. Oh, I actually, really? th there's no retake. <laughs> yep. They just are talking, it's like, oh, I'm out of space, and I didn't finish my line. Just keep going. <laughs> oh, <Yeah>. no. <laughs> I actually haven't seen any of the other dubs the studio did. Like, they did Strange Love, Grave of the Fireflies, Amon Saga. It's that's, frightening to think that they did Grave of the Fireflies. Yeah, that's, that's Kip Kaplan's studio. Um, they occasionally put out some kind of decent work, but for the most part, no. They were inferior even to the generally not-quite-as-good-as-LA-New York crowd. Mm. Yeah, looking at the a Encyclopedia, the other credits are all, like, tremendous... CPM triumphs, MD Geist 2. Yoto Den, oh my god. Cybernetics Guardian, you know, Art of Fighting, Ionis High Kick, name like the questionable oh, geez, sketchy. Oh, Ionis High Kick. 
<laughs> CPM <laughs> dub. And these guys were there to do that. And they, that one and only one episode of Air 88 CPM dub that's also these guys. Now, to be fair, to be totally fair, I would be surprised if anyone could make any of this sound any good like this is very much like the george lucas school of writing dialogue right no but i mean it truly is but it's still it could have been you know acted a bit better perhaps yeah i mean the thing is like this is so hard to watch and it's not just because like oh it doesn't make a lot of sense or whatever it's that it is literally just difficult to maintain paying attention to something when people are screaming at you constantly through the entire thing yeah and so I found it really hard to follow just because I would just tune it out because I just couldn't follow the dialogue and listen to it. And like my brain would just kind of stop processing it. You look away from it for five minutes and when you and when you look back, even though it's only been five minutes, you're just like, wait a minute, what the hell is this? Who the hell are these people? What's happening? <laughs> and the dialogue is also something else just completely like... Some of the very, very few notes I wrote down for this before I figured out that writing notes wouldn't actually help me understand this anymore are, this is a show where you can say lines like, we are entering Gabu Juju, will the Ishiguro affect the drug roll? And I mean, <laughs> that's a real line from the show. It's a real line. Part of the problem is Tamino's use of, like, putting flavor into his fantasy world by adding, like, these fanciful terminology. The other problem is people can't pronounce the names. Like, if you turn the subtitles on, what's spoken doesn't correspond to what the name is in the subtitles at right. all. And it's just like, you know, the Ashgaba have to attack the Gaba Juju. I loved that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, I mean, that's on top of the fact that he just has incredibly awkward dialogue to begin with. Like, I, I had this one little thing I wrote down. It was a very short but very awkward, like, exchange between uh, the main character, Chris, and that fairy thing. The fairy is Falun Fa. Okay, when, what did she say? Falun Fa, Mike, is not to be confused with Chamhua or Silky Ma or <laughs> Lilith Flau, or, you know, or every other annoying-ass Bison Well fairy with some similar-sounding well, okay, name. Okay, my, yeah. my question is, in the subtitles, what did they call those fairies? What name did they use? Filario. That's really interesting, because in the dubbed version, they were calling them the Fialine. Yeah. Which is a bastardization of, of Fiorine, which is actually the term that Carl Misick used in his dub. Because he said that was the more accurate version that he was trying to... People took him to task for that, but he always maintained, just like, this is what these things are in mythology. This is what Tomino meant to call them, but he screwed his manuscript up. And I think it's interesting mm-hmm. that, that that actually carried over, that you had someone in the localization team of this knew what the Ferrario were really supposed to be, then transliterated it badly or something, because, it, yeah, it's the Fiorine. So much work going to all the wrong things. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily wrong things, but in the wrong direction. But yeah, this couple of lines, but it is just horrendously awkward. It, the Ferrar Fialine says, you know, you're the holy warrior. Why don't you fight like one? And Chris says, I never said I was a holy warrior. And then she says, why don't we live together somewhere else? And then he follows with, if you had a convenience store, I'd live with you. And she says, what's that? But there are no vending machines either. <laughs> what? <laughs> Like, that's an actual friggin' line from the show. How am I but supposed to is, comprehend the show when that's a real friggin' line? That is, that is that's, so Tomino. That's, that's the equivalent. That is so Tomino. That is such a Tomino oh, line. Yeah. That is the equivalent of the main character longing for being back home. And I mean, I know that that is, that is Tomino saying, like, this is a really clever line. I know what he's thinking. But no one ever looks over this and says, wait a second, what do you mean I'd live with you if you had a convenience store? And what is this about no vending machines available? Like, ugh. Yeah, it's like... <laughs> what it is is that Yoshiki Tamino, 
lives by the tell not show style yes. of script writing is such that people just declaratively say stuff rather than act in a manner befitting what they're saying such so like instead of acting as though they were say confused or afraid they'll just say something not directly saying i am confused or i'm afraid they'll just say something that would imply oh i guess they're supposed <laughs> to be confused if you can figure out what they're saying i mean that's is one of my biggest complaints of all about tomino the man or, or tomino as i should be pronouncing it the yes we've already gotten uh, excessive hate mail for saying satoshi kon is satoshi khan yes so yeah, we have to that get this correct awesome. tomino <laughs> But yeah, I mean, the man cannot write dialogue, and this is might be like the worst amalgamation of all the bad things of dialogue and invented words, bad acting. It's it's incredible. It is a perfect storm. Yes. But the short of the story, I'm going to tell you everything that happens in three episodes of Garzy's Wing. Okay, here we go. Chris is the inheritor of Garzy's Wing, which is different from the Wings of Reen, which somehow means that he's the Holy Warrior, which means that he has Garzy's Wing. What advantages Garzy's Wing confers upon you, what abilities it brings you other than you sprout wings on your feet, is never stated. We can sort of fly a bit with the wings, I guess, but he has no direct control over when they appear or don't. So he gets summoned to Byston Well, and it is presumably because every leap year they are allowed to pull someone over to uh, Byston Well as needed. And so uh, the people who he has been sent to assist are as a group known as the Maitomius tribe, and they are on the run. They're a tribe of slaves being driven from their lands by another evil tribe that is called the Ashigaba tribe. And they're the, the militaristic bad guys. The goal for these three episodes is to run from the Ashigaba and their trained military using rudimentary weaponry on their quest to reach a place known as the Great Barju Tree, or the Barju in the dub. Uh, they never get there. We never see them reach that. Never happens. And uh, meanwhile, <laughs> in the real world, because, again, what goes down in Byston Well and what goes down in reality are two separate things, Chris has to go to his high school reunion. And so he goes there. Everyone in the school, every single person, just nonchalantly just sort of knows that even though he's there in body, in spirit, he's off in Bison Well. They're just kind of ribbing him for it. It's like, hey, you're off being in Bison Well, huh? <laughs> they're like, yeah, oh, look, there are bruises forming on your body. I guess you're getting in all sorts of trouble, huh? Yep, because mm -hmm. it's like the Matrix over there. If you get hurt there, you get hurt for real. His girlfriend just sort of knows that he's in Bison Well because, as it turns out, she is also in Bison Well. And then they sprout wings and fly off on their motorcycle. You <sighs> forgot the part where his, his real-world self and his Bison Well self communicate, communicate with each with other. Each other. And, yes. and, like, the first thing that they decide is just like, oh, well, if my, my spirit self is trapped in a medieval world... I must strengthen myself spiritually. And also just like, oh, well, how do we make gunpowder? Yes, and giving him the formulation for how to, to do these things and how to make nuts and bolts. And it's like, I don't know how to make a nut based on, you know, bolt. The secret is to make this first and then you will make the nut afterwards. Like, brilliant! <laughs> and none of this comes into play. At no point do they ever make nuts and bolts. At no point does he ever need to formulate gunpowder because they, they already, already know how to make gunpowder. Yeah, yeah. But they don't call it gunpowder, they call it gutta. Yeah. For some inexplicable reason, but go. No, it's, yes. it's black powder. It's, it's, you, you throw it and light it and it blows up. Yeah. Right. It's like in that Transformers episode where they get transported to King Arthur's court. They call gunpowder Dragon's Bane. Chris does teach them how to make long fuses. Yes, to soak the fuses in yeah. gunpowder. And he teaches them the unstoppable technique of soaking arrowheads in gunpowder, thus giving you John Rambo explosive tipped <laughs> that arrows. That is one of the best parts of the whole OVA. Yeah. <laughs> 
it ends up becoming most he of the anime. He shoots a monster and it explodes. Uh, they're not just monsters, Mike. These are Paul Chapman approved dinosaur unicorns. Totally. And they're called like what? War beasts? They've got three different names, but yeah, war beasts is what we'll call them in general. The specific ones, the T-Rex with the unicorn horn is yeah. one thing and the, the pterodon that they fly at to use as scouts and also rain death from above is another thing. And the best one of all, the one that tunnels up from under the ground and then its head is easily detachable. Yeah, that's just part of being a monster. Is it, oh, its head's come off. Now you've made it mad. <laughs> they just know this. Fascinating how surprisingly bloody and rife with dismemberment Garzi's wing is while simultaneously being completely non-visceral and matter-of-fact about it. It doesn't actually carry impact that you see all these random civilians running for their lives being skewered or bitten in half or all manners of horrible things happening to them because it just kind of happens and nobody cares. What I find interesting is that there's a lot of fighting that will be non-bloody where people will just like get slashed and such and then they'll cut to a shot of a guy getting an arrow in his eye. Then cut back to, you know, the PG-13 violence. But I guess that's Tomino. I don't know. I don't know if that's Tomino so much as they're just trying to have it both ways. Maybe make a TV-friendly edit. Maybe. Keep it ready for that. <laughs> Everything about Garzi's wing is just, like, incredibly numbing. It's only got one volume, which is all the way up to 11. It's only got one speed, which is maximum ludicrous speed, if you want to use the Spaceball terminology. Mm -hmm. Characterization... We don't really know anything about anybody. No. We barely even get anybody's you name. You do get the classic Tomino formula of the, you know, completely incompetent, really vengeful bad guy, which would be uh, Zagizoa, the enemy general who just, like, has this weird, fierce face and spends the entire time just being like, I'll get that holy warrior, I'll defeat him and his... You think he's actually going to be the chief antagonist of the story, and then he just suddenly disappears and is never yeah, seen yeah. ever again <laughs> partway through the second episode. He's yeah. just gone. There's no confrontation. Mm -hmm. It's not like he can Catches up to them, and there's a showdown between him and Chris and Garzi's wing, and it saves the day. Nope. He's just there to burn time. Yep. Doesn't amount to anything. Nothing is resolved. Mm -hmm. The bad guys, like, in charge of the whole thing, uh, never seem to get any comeuppance. They just seem to randomly decide partway through the third episode, you know what? This guy's the bad guy who we've been hating all this time, and you have to kill mm -hmm. him. And they're like, okay. Chris also has the multiple girlfriends among the tribe. Oh, yes, that's right. He's got the girl who is totally Sundere. Yeah, yeah, Lilintz. Before that word existed. Then there's Hassan, who's, who's alternately called Hassan and Hassan-san in the dub. Like, the honorific is just, sometimes it's there, sometimes it's, sometimes it isn't. It's a decidedly Arab name for the most Aryan woman <laughs> on know, the block. I know, like blonde-haired, blue-eyed. <laughs> All she does is talk about her earthenware bells that she mm -hmm. needs <laughs> to summon him. Except uh, you're, you're already there, dude. Uh, you don't really need the bells anymore. It's not like it's ever explained that there's anything keeping him in Bison Well. We don't know why this is important. And they travel around in their Oregon Trail-covered wagons. Then somebody explodes? I don't know. <laughs> what happened there? They were like, I'm going to help! Give me all the highly explosive fuse ropes that we'll put in this one single container. And then it catches fire and it blows up and nobody's hurt. So why did we do that? Yeah, I got uh, nothing. Because it's not like they're out of fuses after that. It's just a scene. And that kind of describes Garzi's Wing in a nutshell. Yeah. What is interesting about Garzi's Wing is that the Wikipedia entry of it was clearly written by a Garzi's Wing apologist. <laughs> 
Yeah, he's trying to defend it. Yes. It's incredibly bizarre. It's almost as bizarre as Garzy's Wing itself. It's, it's written by someone yes. who's really into Garzy's Wing. Yeah. It remains an example to all directors of a project that can have some good ideas but fall apart in production. That is part of the Wikipedia entry. So I guess there are people who actually like the show out there. I'm sure there would have to be. Law of averages, man. I mean, I just did a column about all, like, the non-essential anime, and yeah, sure enough, there are people in the comments thread that I just peeked in on that are like, man, Submarine 707R is much better than you think it is. Like, no, no, it's not, dude. It's terrible. <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> Let's see, what else? Someone, oh yeah, here, here. Someone enjoyed Trouble Chocolate. And Psychic Cat. Oh, yeah, of course. Wow. There, there, there's always yeah. people who get in your case for Trouble yep, Chocolate. Yeah, of course. The thing that's great about the Garzy's Wing Wikipedia, it's a cult classic three-episode anime OAV. This is not a cult no, classic. No, it's not. It has not received any sort of following. The only following that I can say... It's not even like one of those things that, oh, it's so terrible that it's really enjoyable or that it's hilarious. No, mm -hmm. it's just unpleasant to watch. It's really bad, and the only reason anybody knows about it is that it has a reputation as being incredibly poor, even though it's often uttered in the same breath as MD Geist. I happen to know there are a couple of, like, internet autistics out there who get on my case for saying, you know, MD Geist isn't that bad. It's just, you know, something that old-timers say is bad. No, MD Geist is pretty bad, mm -hmm. except it's also great. Yeah. Uh, unlike Garcy's Wing, which is just really brutal and taxing on the soul. The reason I think people know about Garzy's Wing is that a lot of internet video reviewer people, you know, the types who have like their annoying theme song that's custom made for them and they do their wacky videos, a lot of them have found Garzy's Wing and done their reviews of it and put them up on YouTube or their various video nerd reviewer sites. And so there's a lot of Garzy's Wing best of compilation scenes. But man, when you watch that whole thing, oh my god. I always told Neil Nadelman, like, for years, I've had Garzy's Wing. For years, I've never shown it, because finding the clips to just pull out a Garzy's Wing, oh yeah, it can be done. I remember that. But actually doing it is rough as hell. And then one year, Neil sat down and gave me a disc of, like, here are Garzy's Wing clips to use. And then shortly thereafter, it went all over the internet. And so I, I think people are just stealing Neil's style. Of course they are. It's been happening for years. Happening for years, now, ever do. since Frankenstein. Come on, Daryl, you and me, to a certain extent, took some cues from him, right? Oh yeah, I steal from Neil all the time. Absolutely. All I do is steal things from other people. <laughs> yeah, and he steals from me. Remember, he actually got the Transformers uh, Headmasters footage from me that he used in a panel that Aaron and Noah saw and used as a title for their podcast. Circle of Life. That's my fault, man. I'm the one who found that on uh, on Amazon UK, where anyone could buy it. <laughs> <laughs> now, I do actually wonder about those Japanese fans of Garzy's Wing, the people that paid $80 for the videos when they came out. Can you imagine? And that purchased oh, all three of them. Like, after the first video, you would have purchased any more of this? They're all like battered person syndrome. It's like, okay, it's going to get better. This is just, Tamino is just on a, a rough spot. He's, he's going to pick it back up. He's going to put it all together. And no, it didn't happen. Ugh. I think this is one of those things that came into production because... Through sheer momentum, I mean, the Bison Well stuff had been around for, like, what, 15 years at that point? At least a decade. And so there must be some fans of it if it keeps getting made and remade. Or it might just be the sheer stubbornness of Yoshiyuki Tamino to I say, Tomino, I man. want to be able to make more Bison Well in exchange for another Gundam, damn it. And so he gets his wish time and time again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, really hoping that his unannounced new project is another Bison Well thing. <laughs> I yeah, heard he, about that. He gave that. a name for it, but I'm just hoping it's another Bison Well thing, just because he just keeps trying and he just 
will never, ever, ever uh, hit the mark because at the end of the day, there's nothing inherently interesting about this setting of Bison Well. There's nothing that unique about it. It's a fantasy zone that's vaguely medieval, and the only thing that made it kind of unique is the thing that Tamino himself had nothing to do with, which was the adding of the insectoid mecha things. Right. Yeah. Yeah, nothing else about this is any more unusual than any other, like, fantasy book or anything. I wonder if there was any Garzy's Wing ancillary merchandise. Like, obviously hmm. there was a single, because there was a song called Wings of My Heart that was the ending thing. Which is actually not bad. Yeah, yeah. Were, were there, like, uh, Garzy's Wing trading figures? Like, could you get a little naked Chris with, uh, with you know, wings on his feet? <laughs> could you get Chris and Reiko on the flying motorcycle? I mean, was there a Garzy's Wing art book, I wonder? Hmm. These are the kind of things that I think of when I see something like this. I want to believe that at some, like, Japanese panel, someone did ask him about this, and then Tomino actually pulled out some real gutta and just threw it in the audience and killed people. Yeah. I think he almost did that to Justin Savakis, because much like how when we had the Crystal Triangle interview that got lost because of the bad recording quality, yeah. when Justin, I think, had the chance to interview Tomino, it was just nothing but Garzi's wing questions. <laughs> And Tamino was like, I don't want to talk about Garzi's wing. This is this topic is over. <laughs> yeah, Justin has told me about he kinda had to do that just because CPM had released Garzi's Wing not too long ago, and he was trying to get materials for their DVD release, which came out like a year after Tomino uh visited the US. I mean, the last time Tomino came to the New York Anime Festival, I asked to get an interview with him just so I could talk about stuff like that, and I was explicitly told by his handlers that like you can only ask about Gundam. Don't ask about his other projects. Ah, uh, man. Which is just like, man, if I if I can only ask softballs, it's not even worth doing. Then you have to ask about SD Gundam and the stuff I guess he wasn't even really involved with. Well, no, I mean, that, there's no reward in that. I no. just want to sit down and be like, you know, Garzi's wing, man, what went wrong? I want to nail his feet to the fire so his wings can sprout from his ankles and free him. Oh, exactly. That too. This is what Garzi's wing is for. It's to make me escape from pushy interviewers. <laughs> <laughs> as bad as Garzi's wing is, I think... It's actually worse to watch it in the Japanese. I think the dub with the incessant screaming and the bad pronunciations and everything else, that actually makes it better. It makes it more interesting than it is, absolutely. Even though the Japanese has a pretty star-studded Japanese voice cast attached to it, you know, it's a fairly decently budgeted production, uh, it, what they're saying ultimately isn't very interesting either. It's still going to put you in a trance at least you know there's one or two lines about how drugs make you feel funny in the dub yeah right that you can at least latch onto and show that clip only so who who was in the japanese cast do you have a list it's uh like aya hisakawa was in it who does takahito koyasu play i don't think he's in there this was prior to him being in everything yeah I th oh man man the voice of falan the, the fairy there that's maya okamoto i've met her she speaks english man we gotta we gotta get her back to the states for a convention hmm. to talk about garzi's wing <laughs> And only Garzi's wing, like whatever it is that she's famous for. Yeah, she's most famous as the voice of uh, Orihime in the Soccer Wars series. But yeah, yeah, we got to make her talk about Garzi's wing. Oh, and she was Emma Sheen in uh, Zeta Gundam as oh, well. Okay, so that's the Tomino connection. That's right the Tomino there. connection right there. So yeah, Garzi's wing only interview segments will have to happen if we God, bring her back Junko here. God, Junko Iwo. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Man, she's like been in everything, huh? I think so. Yumi Toma. Jeez. It's a good cast. It's a good cast, but again, they can't save this and make it absolutely unforgettable no. the way that Yamato Takeo no Mikoto <laughs> will make you never, ever forget Garzi's wing for as long as you live, no matter how hard when you try. People when Chris occasionally does that Will Ferrell scream. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually commented that he sounds a bit like Will Ferrell, and when, when you listen to it again, it, it does sound like it. <laughs> 
<laughs> You're making me laugh just thinking about it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> I'm looking at the uh, the staff page now for this. It's like, oh, that tells the whole story right there. Chief director, Yoshiyuki Tomino. Director, Yoshiyuki Tomino. Script, Yoshiyuki Tomino. Storyboard, Yoshiyuki Tomino. This is kind of why I I tend to refer to Tomino as the George Lucas of Japan, in that he's a man who can create good work as long as he has people to hold him back, tell him no. And fix things. (laughs) And fix things and improve the stuff that he comes up with. Except that he's too powerful that there's nobody around who can nope. tell him right. no. Yeah. The only thing they can do is not give him money. Yes. Which, yeah, I know. It's it's hilarious because if you actually talk to him, like the time I did meet him and uh, did a group interview with him, yeah, as far as he's concerned, the whole industry is out to get him and, and all, all that Sunrise does is hold him back, man. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think Sunrise knows knows what the deal is. I mean, he cannot write. Like George Lucas, the man cannot write for his life. He's just a good idea man he clearly needs to go back to directing episodes of hutch the honeybee (laughs) definitely his most productive period yes definitely all right so there we've pretty much said everything there is to say about yoshiki tomino or tomino as it were Uh, so that should pretty much do it we don't ever need to talk about gundam now because we've covered it all Um, (laughs) you know garzi's wing effectively (laughs) uh, supersedes all of mobile suit gundam no need to talk about uh, Shaw Osnabel when we've got a uh, random dude who's never seen again. What I don't even remember his name anymore because they <laughs> gave him two different names. Zagazoa or Zaguzo in the dub. He's the Garmazabi of this outfit. I don't know. Garza's Wing is a total mess. Everyone should go watch it and then uh, be upset that they watched it. And then the only real way to cope with having seen Garzi's Wing and being upset that you watched it is to show it to other people. I do have video yeah. of me trying to show this at our anime night. The crowd was, was turning against me really badly. Why would you make anyone else do at, at the anime <laughs> club? Making Listen, an audience? It was a suggestion by me. I wasn't there. I just said, hey, you guys should all watch Garzi's Wing. I'll be over here. I do have great footage of our friend Cassie just yelling at the TV saying, this is shit. This is shit. I can't deal with it. This is shit. <laughs> Yeah, so Daryl, you didn't, you know, you didn't pull the pin. You just handed him the hand grenade. That's right. And then next week's hand grenade is Harmageddon. Hand grenade again? Yes. You mean Bega's battle? Yep. I mean, suddenly is racist again. <laughs> Absolute zero now again. Man, there are people out there who love that movie. Oh yeah, Gerald's one of them. That's why he's gonna gladly show everyone Harmageddon. I am on one Friday. of them, and I'm gonna tackle that episode along with <sighs> the only other person that likes that show, which is uh, Patrick Macias. Excellent. Good thinking. It's good to have an advocate for total garbage. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, man, you should do an all, uh, you know, all divisive Rintaro movie episode. Any Rintaro anything. <laughs> Rintaro's, yeah, such an awful, terrible director. <laughs> no, he's great. I love him. Yes. Except for Harmageddon. Well, you never and know, for... man. You never know when you're going to get the good Rintaro or the evil Rintaro, the mirror universe Rintaro. The Bison Well Rintaro. Exactly. Has uh, aged 700 years for every day that the real Rintaro is alive. Anyway, all right. That's uh, about it. All I can say about Garzi's Wing. Check out the internet for more information about it. You can get it for a dollar on Amazon that's Marketplace. I think pay. it's worth a dollar. No. Yeah. It's either a dollar on Amazon Marketplace or available. Type it into YouTube. You'll you'll get the good parts. 
<laughs> the good parts of Garzy's Wing. Oh my goodness. We'll close with the fantastic theme song, or the uh, ending theme song. And just remember, when you listen to this song, just think in your head of what it would look like if a man was riding on a motorcycle that suddenly sprouted feathered wings and flew off into space. That'll do you. Jesus Christ, it's like a Hawkwind album cover. <laughs> I must somehow make sense of our convoluted situation. Uh, I don't need your help. How insulting! You are the holy warrior! Why is it that you don't fight like one? I never said I was a holy warrior! Then why don't we live together somewhere else, my friend? If you had a convenience store, then I would live with you. What is that? But I know there are no vending machines here either. What are you talking about? You called it Ishibara? Yes, the Ashigaba put it in the war beast food to calm them. Can I have a little bit? Are you going to use it like the Gara? It's what we call a drug in my world. If you taste it or smoke it, you get happy and do crazy things. Yes, it's a bit dangerous. You certainly got sexy. Oh, hey you, that's dangerous! Uh, I'm sorry, but this sword is not sharp at all, you see. All right, that concludes our technically show 100 of the Anime World Order podcast in which I broke my incredible slump of not having reviewed anything for about a year now. If you go back and actually check the archives, uh, the website AnimeWorldOrder.com, you can actually go to the review index and see that the last thing I reviewed was back in 2010 around September, October of then. So if my reviewing... Yes, it's it's been you and Clarissa the entire time, and I've just kind of been hiding that fact. But no, I haven't reviewed anything for a while. I'm a bit rusty and a bit out of it, but we're going to get back on this horse uh, in another year. For the meantime, next episode of the Anime World Order podcast, we have got another special guest coming up. YouTube's Patrick Macias, Crunchyroll's Patrick Macias. Have I been be reviewing the entire time? And we're going to review one of his favorite movies of all time, Rintaro Classica Genma Taisen, otherwise known as Harmageddon. 1D TV show? That show sucked. I believe there was even more Genma Tyson after that. I can't even keep track of it. Maybe just books. Maybe something else. I don't know. There's a lot. I think Rintaro's Genma Tyson saga is his Bison Well. It's his Kerbero saga. He wants Are you guys going to talk about it. the Genma Tyson TV series too? Whether it kills him. Yeah, it totally did. That's true. Oh, God. Oh yeah, that's a, that's another special animated. One. We should review Take the X Train. I think it was just books. Okay, it is. You're right. I, I was wrong. 
So anyway, thanks for listening. A uh, hundred episodes worth. Uh, the email address, if you got any complaints for us, is animeworldorder well, at gmail.com. Well, Rintar only did one move. No, no, no. R- and, uh, Rintaro website, is biased like we and well. Said, www.animeworldorder.com. If you want to hear all the previous episodes, <laughs> they're all uh, linked over there. Next time I'm getting, I don't know show. when that's coming out. <laughs> Hopefully sooner rather than later because I've played through my human revolution. And so I've got it out of my system mostly because i got to play it again now. That'll do it, folks. Uh, See you when we see you. This must be the place where Yamato Takeru no Mikoto came down from the sky. Why do you think this is the work of a ghost? Then who are you? Are you Yamato Takeru no Mikoto? The Nine Dragon Lake in Hakusan Mountain! Doman! Karino! Use the god Why can't you do something for us, Mr. Yamato Takeru no Mikoto? Damn you, uh. Yamato Takeru no Mikoto!